So the book of Colossians is a book that I think is incre- uh, incredibly appropriate for the American church. Nothing, n- no other reason than in 2021, uh, we are seeing an incredibly decreased uh, ability to keep your attention, right? The attention span is not headed in the right direction. And we all understand why that stuff's happening. And what I love about the book of Colossians is it's just four chapters, right? It's four chapters, it's 95 verses. The, the apostle Paul is writing to this church in Colossae, which was in Asia Minor, For those of you geography nerds that care about that, in modern day on our globe, that would land them in Turkey, modern day. Paul's never actually physically been to this church, but as you read in Colossians 1, has heard tons about it and has a deep affection for it. There's some really uh, interesting things that we're going to talk about that are happening that Paul addresses uh, very intently in chapter 1. So we have, for the next four weeks, we have four chapters. We'll take them a week at a time, as I said before. But you need to understand this. To get the fullness of Colossians, you need to come every week understanding this one good thought about the book of Colossians because there are four chapters and there are 95 verses. But but listen to me. There is just one reoccurring dominant theme, no matter what's talked about in those chapters throughout Paul's whole letter. There's just one thing he is trying to drive home to this young and this new, and by default, new, immature. And I don't say that in a condescending way. It was an immature church. These were Greeks and these were Jews trying to come together with all of their differences and trying to worship the one true living God, Jesus. And there was a lot of, of course, human immaturity that came with that. So there are four chapters, 95 verses, but are you guys ready for the theme of this whole series? It is this. Colossians is a book that is declaring yet again the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. If Paul could give you one sentence and say, when I wrote this, this was my motive. This was my heart. This was what I was ultimately trying to get across. It is that in all things in life, the good, the bad, and the ugly, Jesus is supreme over all things, and he is sufficient for all things. Now, when Paul's writing this letter, he's doing what he does in every epistle he writes. He's looking at the particular culture. In this case, it's the city of Colossae, right? He's looking at the culture. All the cultures were somewhat the same, but also had their own unique vibe to them, right? So he's looking at the culture in Colossae and he's going, okay, when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ, what in our culture of Colossae is is antithetical to the gospel? What is not lining up with the gospel of grace? Because here's what happens globally. From the time the church started 2,000 years ago to 2021, America in all churches, in all states, in all cities, in all countries around the globe is there is this natural progression in the life of a church to lean into the gospel, preach it well, preach it hard, for God to bless it, and then over time as for whatever reason we Christ followers mature, we tend to start falling off the path of the gospel, assuming this subtle lie that there's something deeper than the gospel or that the gospel is something that we graduate from. And can I just remind us, I used to remind my church of this almost every week, the gospel is not the good news that we graduate from so that we can go deeper. The gospel is the thing that with, with divine redundancy and just repeating ourselves, we renew our minds back to every day. And so what's happening in the church of Coloss is in their culture, they grew up with an incredibly uh, interesting dynamic because like I said earlier, they had, they had Jews who were converts to Christ in that church and they had a whole nother sect of people, Greek people coming to this church that had grew up enmeshed not in the Jewish law or the Jewish Torah, but they were enmeshed in what? Greek philosophy, Plato, Socrates, all those guys were their former pastors. 
and their former fathers of their Greek philosophical faith. And now you got these two different mindsets and two different backgrounds and two different people groups trying to come and do church and a a, a few people, and this can happen in any church, a few people with a lot of power and clout and Colossae started to creep into this church and what they were subtly but powerfully trying to do. And we're going to see Paul here in these five verses I'm going to read. He attacks this notion because there were some false teachers coming in and they were starting to deny very subtly but powerfully the deity of Jesus. They weren't denying that Jesus was an incredibly unique human being. That would be stupid. Everyone knew about him now. They weren't denying that he was an enlightened human being. They weren't denying that his teachings were on some some new kind of esoteric, a whole nother level of, of thinking that just drew people by the thousands. They weren't even probably denying that he was a prophet of some sort. But what they were trying to reteach the people away from the gospel is that Jesus was not deity. He was not Emmanuel. He was not as important or as authoritative as God. And Paul comes and says, no, 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 no. He absolutely is. Here's what Paul does when he starts to realize this is happening, when Epaphras tells him this. He comes out of the gates hard and fast. And he does this. He comes out of the gates hard and fast. We're going to read it here with what I call front page news. In fact, that's what I would title this weekend's message for Colossians chapter one is front page news. And here's what I mean. And and, and millennials and Gen Z, I'm going to tell you something that's going to blow your mind. We used to get, when I was a little kid, even into my 20s, the the main way we got our news, okay, this is going to blow your minds, is we got it from a piece of paper with ink on it. And it was like three feet high and like a foot and a half long. And you had to open it with, and you had to like in tiny lettering. And this was like our dinosaur, like archaic way of getting the news. But this was the main source of news. It was called a newspaper. There was nothing digital. There weren't phones. There was some national TV broadcast, but you had to be lucky to watch those, right? Most people just woke up every day and just started reading the paper to get their news. And what every good news organization does prior and now, digital or paper, is you put the headlines where? On the front page, right? You put the most sometimes scandalous headlines because why? That sells papers. And the ultimate purpose of earthly news is not to inform you. Can I wake us up this morning? It is to sell papers. It is to get ratings. It is to make cash, right? This is why I'm always skeptical with earthly news. Do I try and pay attention? Do I try and do my due diligence? Yes, but that seems to be getting harder and harder in this day and age because it is a multi, multi, multi multi-billion dollar industry not to inform us, but to get ratings, to keep us listening. And so what sells? Fear, scandal, baiting different people groups and dividing different people groups of different philosophies and different ideas against each other, right? So you get your group and your tribe to watch this new show more than that new show or read this newspaper more than this newspaper, right? Like, like that's what we've been doing forever. And listen, sometimes, b- b- according to the ratings, I think we're being duped, y'all, because we just keep watching it and reading it. And and here's what's happening in Colossae. This is so important you understand this before we read these five verses so they're full of power that the way they deserve to be is this. When these Greek philosophical people try and intermingle with the Jewish legalists, the Torah-observing Jews, man, it's a nightmare. Now, let me see if you can kind of sense any parallels between what's happening in Colossae and what's happening in the American church. Because see, the Greeks... 
and their philosophical, esoteric approach to life, do you know what was considered by the Jews? Liberal. And do you know what the Jewish legalistic approach to the Torah was considered by those Greek philosophy people sitting in the same pews in the same church? Fundamentalist and conservative. You ever heard of that in our country anywhere? You ever sat in a church? Because let me just fill you in. You're sitting in one right now with conservatives and liberals. How are we ever going to get along? How are we going to do this? Because I was just told by the news that I'm right and our team's right and that we got the truth and we got the information. And how could they come to church and believe in the same Jesus as me when they were on the other news channel and got the other news information and the other exact same stuff? How could we come and possibly meet together? And Paul in Colossians is going to say, I'm going to tell you exactly how we're all going to come together because what you're making front page news is not front page news. Greek philosophy, and Paul doesn't hate it. In fact, if you read the epistles enough, you will realize Paul actually quotes multiple times Greek philosophers. He uses in the Holy Scriptures some Greek philosophical statements to make his point. How dare him with those liberals? And then we know Paul was the Pharisee of Pharisees. If anyone could obey the Torah, if anyone leaned into Jewish legalism, it was Paul, right? So Paul's coming from both sides, and what Paul knows that they didn't yet know, and therefore it was causing division, was that there is a third way, and this third way is the gospel, the good news. Not some news, the good news. And it's not fear-mongering, it's not disinformation, it is the truth that will set you free, and the anchor of it is hope, not fear. And so what Paul's trying to do is what we have to re-up and do at all of our churches in America is say, we, we come back to the anchor of hope, not fear, not baiting each other, not divisiveness, not picking my team against their team so I can today feel a little bit more self-righteous about what I know and what I believe versus what they believe. That's not the heart of Christ. The heart of Christ is that the gospel will break through all dividing walls of hostility in the globe. And it starts with us, y'all. Starts with us. And so Paul says, hey, listen, yeah, clap all you want. I'll take it. Helping a brother out up here. So what Paul's saying is, listen, here's the temptation. And and we can all do this if we're not careful. And that's what Colossians 1 is about. We can start to make back page news, front page news. And I'm telling you, over time, it has detrimental effect. We can start to get so absorbed in things that don't ultimately relate to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is going to come and remember this idea that they're trying to come back in and say, Jesus, although amazing and great and wonderful and enlightened and prophetic, was not deity. Here's what he does. He writes a poem. (laughs) That doesn't sound very tough to me. But when you read what he writes here, where he's using language and he's using beautiful imagery, From the book of Genesis, he's using imagery. From the book of Exodus, he's using imagery. He's using language from the book of Psalms, and he's using language from the book of Proverbs. And here's what he says to say, hey, church, we're getting back to front page news. Because it is the only news that will ever give you hope, and it is the only news that will ever set you free. Here's what Paul writes. He, Jesus, this is who he's talking about explicitly. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Now, that's important, right? Jesus, when he was here, said many times, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've heard me preach or teach or talk, I only say what the Father tells me to say. I only do what the Father tells me to do. In the book of Hebrews, it says that Jesus is the exact representation of the invisible God. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became flesh. And, or no, excuse me, the Word, what? Was God. 
And the word became flesh and what? Dwelt among us. This is the essential to the fundamentals of our Christian faith. Jesus is God in the flesh, nothing less. And this is what Paul says right out of the shoots. Jesus is the Im- image of the invisible God. Listen to this, the firstborn over all creation. That sounds cool, but the next thing said is something I don't think we often think about when it comes to Jesus. For by Jesus, go back to Genesis now, all things were created. We usually put that on God the Father, right? But no, God, in, in, in his infinite wisdom, was letting Jesus create. The mountains that we looked at this morning, the sun that came up over those mountains this morning, that's all Jesus. The dynamic physiological systems that are keeping you breathing during this message right now, that's all Jesus. That's not random chance. That's not anything random happening All of the stars that fall and don't hit our star, praise God, that's Jesus. All of the 300 million some galaxies we now know, and I'm sure there's many more than that, holding together everything, that's Jesus. When the sun keeps rotating on its axis perfectly every 24-hour cycles for now thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years, that is Jesus. When that sun not only rotates on its axis, but it starts to circle every 365 days, point whatever, because a leap year, don't get at me, nerds, don't email me. I know it's 365 point something because a leap year, all right? But when that happens year after year after year after year, that's not randomness. That is the goodness and the kindness and the faithfulness of Jesus whose mercies are brand new every single morning. In Jesus, all things were created, Paul was saying, and you don't want to call him deity. (laughs) He's saying, be careful. He says, in heaven and on earth, listen to this, everything visible, Jesus created. Everything invisible, Jesus created. Now listen to this. This will mess with you. Whether thrones, all of them, not good ones, all of them. Dominions, Jesus Every ruler on planet earth ever, Jesus created. All authorities, Jesus created. All things were created, listen, through him, and I love this, for him. That should give you safety. That should give you comfort in such a tumultuous 2020 and 2021. Doesn't that give you comfort that what he's keeping in existence and what he's continuing to allow to exist in perfect fashion, it's for his glory? Which means, hey, no matter how much chaos we walk through in these next few years in our particular country or around the world globally, in the midst of all the chaos, guess what? He is keeping this thing and his faithfulness going because if nothing else, it is for his glory and he created it. He is deity. He says, and in Jesus He is before all things and in him, and we'll come back to this because I couldn't shake this one. Of all all this piece of poetry, I could not shake this imagery. In Jesus, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, us, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, talking about resurrection, that in everything, Jesus, and here's the word, might be preeminent. Preeminent is synonymous with what I said earlier. He is supreme and he is sufficient. You can put all three of those words together because they are all getting to the same point. Jesus is preeminent. This is Paul going, he is in fact deity. He spoke you into existence. He has numbered the hairs on your head. He knows every day before you live one of them that have been written in his book. And here's the best news. He is good. He is for you, not against you. 
He did not come to condemn the world. He came to save the world. While we were yet sinners, what? Christ died, knowing what he would have to die for, knowing our sins and stakes and failures. That's how good he is. And he is holding all things together. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Listen to this. For in Jesus, all the fullness of God. How much? All the fullness of God. This is Paul again going, no, he's deity. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him and through him to reconcile himself. How much? All things. I have no clue how that plays out. I have no clue the fullness of what that means. I just know what Paul's writing here. He wants to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. And here's the best news. By making peace by the blood of the cross. I love that. I've been thinking all week about that old song I grew up as a kid listening to my parents sing in church while I just kind of stared at everyone. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You have peace today because of the blood of Jesus. You have peace today because of the centrality of our faith, which is the cross, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. You have full peace if you want it today. This is Paul saying, listen, we're going to get back to front page news. We are going to re-anchor ourselves, not in the news of the day, not in the zeitgeist of the day, not in what's going on in your particular era that God sovereignly let you be born into. We are going to relentlessly and ruthlessly just continue to preach Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. You understand that? I love that. I love, okay, let me, let me just, let, let's go Bible nerd for a minute here. In, uh, and you can go back and read this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul starts talking about some guy who had a heavenly vision. And it's one of those stories where he's talking about a guy, but it's really him, and he admits that in the end. He said, I once knew a guy who went to the third heaven. This is talking about everything's God's heavens, but this is him saying, I went to where the actual, literal presence and spirit of God is in his fullness and, and I used to read that and I used to get mad because I'm like, why does Paul get a third heaven vision and I don't? My life would be so much easier. If, do you think Paul's life got easier because of that vision? It got immensely worse. But listen, this will, this will make you feel better. You want the guy who writes half the New Testament about the gospel, you want him to go to the third heaven. We want him privy to the fullness of the presence of God so that when we are reading him authoritatively, we can put our trust in it, Right? And he says, man, it didn't, it didn't make things easier for me. It's cost me. In fact, Paul's writing to Coloss, uh, Colossae in a prison in Ephesus. When he's writing this, it hasn't got easier. But, but here's the good news. In, in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul says something so interesting. This is, keep in mind, the greatest theologian to ever live. Why? He got that third heaven experience, that vision. God entrusted him with half the New Testament, preaching the gospel in all of its depth. And he comes to the church in Corinth, and you know what he says to them? Think about this. He says, I came claiming to know only one thing, Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. The guy who knows more than all of them, the guy who could wax eloquent with any Greek about philosophy and destroy them if they were in a debate, a guy who could not only wax eloquent about Jewish legalism and Torah observance, he could outbehave them all. His biography tells us that. He said, I used to outbehave everyone. It's the Pharisee of Pharisees. That's the pro of piety, Right? And Paul is trying to tell us something. It's all about front page news. Do not overcomplicate this. Do not spend your time and your energy 
in the futility of getting into the weeds of our religion and getting into the weeds of how the world's trying to fix everything. He says, no, 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 no. We just keep leaning into the gospel of Jesus Christ. We keep trusting that he has created everything for him and for his glory. Therefore, he's sovereignly going to do what he says he's going to do. His purposes are in fact going to stand. You can rest today, Plum Creek Church. You can just come back to the beauty of the cross. Paul was just saying, look, I could preach so many different things, but I'm going to preach the cross and Christ crucified and act like I know nothing else because in the end of the day, that is all that matters. So there's this pastor uh, down in Georgia who I love and I respect deeply. He's got an incredible church called Passion City. His name's Louis Giglio. Some of you probably heard him preach before. You ever heard him? Help me out if you have. Yeah, just an incredible preacher. In fact, me and my son are gonna be down there next weekend, can't wait. And he was telling a story once of how he was on a tour. He used to tour with his buddy, Chris Tomlin. Some of you may have gone to one of their tour concerts and they would have a worship experience and Louis would preach. And when he was done preaching, Chris would get up and sing all of his amazing worship songs. And I actually went to one 10, 15 years ago and it was incredible. It was incredible. And when he got done with his last tour date, a, a guy was back in the green room where they were finishing up and getting ready to leave and he had never seen him before. And he came up to Louis and he said, hey, Louis, uh, what are, you, what are you preaching on next? You're done here, what's next? He goes, well, I'm actually going back to my home church and I'll be preaching this Sunday. He goes, well, great, what are you preaching on? And he goes, I'm gonna preach about the glory of God revealed in Christ Jesus. He says, awesome, love it. Can't wait to listen in. And then he looks at Louie and he says, so what's your left hook? And he's like, what? What are you talking about? He says, Louie, you never end a message without a left hook. What's your left hook for this next message coming up? And he goes, well, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit it, but to be honest with you, I don't know what my left hook is yet. I just got done preaching here. I gotta figure out what that left hook is. No pressure though, right? And the guy looks at him and says, well, if you're preaching about the glory of God in Christ Jesus, I already got your left hook for you. And Louis's like, amazing, please tell. I need the help, right? And what he would find out later is this guy was a molecular biologist and he looked at Louis and he, he simply said this. He said, he goes, when you go home tonight or tomorrow, whenever you start to study, he says, Google the word laminin. He goes, you know what laminin is? And Louis's like, again, I'm embarrassed, I do not. <laughs> He goes, well, just go home and, and, and Google it, and there's your left hook. We're talking about the glory of God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And of course, it's a molecular biologist, and what he knew that Louis didn't know is that laminin, and I'm, gonna, I'm not a molecular biologist. I only play one on TV, so give me some grace here. <laughs> give me some grace here. I'll give you the layman's term. It is a cell structure, a molecule cell structure. Uh, it's a protein. And in, in the best layman's term to explain it, Here's what laminin does throughout the whole body. You know when you pour concrete, there's something you do before you pour it and you lay it, is you put the, these, these, these metal bars under the structure called rebarb, right? And rebarb just takes concrete, which is already sturdy, to a whole nother level. It makes it last longer, it makes it stronger, it makes it more durable, right? It holds up some of the pressure under it so that the, the concrete can actually, and the pavement can do what it's supposed to do. And the molecular biologist would tell him that this is the rebarb of the human body. This is literally what is holding your human body together for all of the other precious dynamic systems in the body to do their work. The rebarb is the thing that's making it last, that's making it go, that's holding it together. Remember earlier when it said, he holds all things together? So Pastor Louie, he does this. He goes home to his hotel that night and he says he Googles laminin. And you know how when you Google, the first thing that usually comes up is images? 
So he, he Googles it, and you wanna see a picture of this molecular structure in our body that holds it together? You wanna see what it just happens to look like? Go ahead and put that picture up of laminin. Coincidence? I think not. In fact, the ancient Hebrews, God's first people, had no word in the Hebrew language. They still don't for the word coincidence. Isn't that incredible? You cannot tell me that the structure, the rebarb of the human body holding us all together just arbitrarily and randomly happened to be in the shape of a cross. I'm not buying it. You can't can't talk me out of this one. When the creator of the human body, the one who spoke all of our dynamic systems into place, the one who holds the moon and the stars and the earth together, the one who keeps it rotating on its axis, that is who he is. It is all about the cross of Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And listen, most of you have been doing this Jesus thing long enough to to have a pretty strong foundation in your faith in the blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And if that was all Jesus came to do, that would be enough. But Paul's saying, no, 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 no. Your degree of awe and love and trust in Jesus should be so much greater than just the cross just the blood of Jesus. But that would be enough if that's all there was. But he's saying, no, 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 no. He's actually keeping your lungs breathing so in a few minutes we can praise him with all our heart. The thousands upon thousands of breaths you'll take today are each a gift and an announcement of the grace of Jesus over your life and over my life. And at the center of all of God's creative power 2,000 years ago, he, he lets human beings who he's holding together. He lets a Roman soldier, group of Roman soldiers, who he's currently holding their breath and life together, put them up on a tree that he spoke into existence. Think about that. He's letting them put nails through his hands and through his feet with precious metals that he spoke into existence. Think about that. And while they're doing this with his creative power, On our behalf, he looks at those people just like he does you and me and says, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. Life has become back page news to the front and front page news to the back. If they really knew the truth, if they really knew who I was, this would never have been necessary. But he's still in the midst of that says, Father, forgive them. This is how good our God is. And this Plum Creek is why Jesus is worthy of all our praise. This is why he's worthy of all of our trust. This is why he's worthy of continually holding our hearts accountable to getting out of the weeds of all of the chaos of this world, getting out of all the the chaos of all of the, the news cycles that are just trying to throw information at us when they have no love for you. They didn't die for you. They want your ratings and they want your money. I think it's so ironic, this is God's irony, that news people are called what? Anchors. Baby, that is not the anchor you want put down for you. I don't know about you, but I don't want Chris Cuomo as an anchor. I love him and hope to see him in heaven. I do not want Sean Hannity as my anchor. I love him and hope to see him as in heaven. I do not want Rachel Maddow as my anchor. I love her and hope to see her. I do not want Tucker Carlson as my anchor. And I, could, I don't want Joe Scarborough as my anchor. I don't want Lori Ingram as my anchor. I could just keep going. Carson, uh, who, who? Man, I used to think I should watch the news or something. I quit watching that news, man. And life has been so much better. They're not your anchors. They're peddling fear. They're peddling dissension. 
Because there's something in our sinful nature that loves that. Because if we can pit ourselves against what we think is untruth, we get this false self-righteous sense of satisfaction. But Jesus says there's such a deeper, more real sense of satisfaction and it will anchor you and it's called hope. And the only hope you're gonna get is from an anchor named Matthew and Mark. I want my anchor to be a guy named Luke. I want my anchor and my news guy to be John and Paul and Peter and Jude and James because all they do is relentlessly preach to us, Plum Creek Church, the good news of Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. And that is the only sustaining force you will have for peace and love and joy and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and, and one, one we all need de desperately, self-control. And so I just, I just came in Colossians 1 to do what Paul does, a good old-fashioned gospel reminder that we will be people of the front page. We will be people of the front page, and we will relentlessly and vigilantly tie ourselves to the gospel, to the cornerstone, to Jesus Christ and Christ crucified for the forgiveness of the sins of not only us, but all mankind. And so I am just as we get ready to lift up the name of Jesus. I am pleading with every single one of us, myself first, that we would re-up on who we are in Jesus. Listen, the way I'm drifting from Jesus right now is different than the way you're drifting. The back page news that I'm interested in right now, if I'm being honest, is probably different than a bunch of your back page news. That's not the point. We're all adults. You can, you can know your own heart. What I'm asking for today is for us to have a beautiful, beautiful moment corporately of repentance. Repentance gets such a bad rap in the I hate it. I'm gonna do a sermon about this sometime with you guys. Repentance, the Bible says, comes with refreshment. Repentance comes and is birthed out of the kindness of God. It's the kindness of God that gives us these kind of in-your-face messages because he's trying to say, no, 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 let's get back to what matters most. So I'm gonna call on us in these next few minutes as we just lift up the name of Jesus, as you begin to do that, that this would be a house of repentance. Why? Because I love you. I want us all walking out of here refreshed. I want us all walking out of here with the peace of God in Christ Jesus. And that only comes when we're honest enough to go, man, I have gotten into the weeds with some things. And for all of us, it's different. And again, you're adults, you, you know what it is. And if you don't, I promise you, if you surrender today, the Holy Spirit will make that known to you and beautifully convict you and say, I want refreshment for you. Those weeds aren't giving you hope. They're giving you fatigue. They're giving you anger. They're bringing divisiveness. They're making you feel better than other people at the expense of other people, or they're making you feel worse to those other people at your expense. And I don't want that for you or for them. So we come back to the gospel. And then last but not least, before we worship, I would be crazy if I did not offer anybody within the sound of my voice at home or in this room who does not know Jesus to have a moment to receive the blood of Jesus. That is only thing sufficient for the salvation and for eternal life of you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just gonna very quickly and respectfully ask you if you would like today to know this person, Jesus. If you would like today to ask Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins, the healer of your body, your mind, your spirit. The Bible says, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth and if you believe in your heart, the book of Romans says, you shall be saved. So if the Holy Spirit's been working and that's your day-to-day -day where you're gonna cross over from death to life, would you, with every head bowed and eye closed, would you just put up your hand for a minute? We wanna pray with you. I just wanna see, thank you. Anybody else? 
Anybody else this morning? Keep it up. Nothing to be ashamed of. This is an awesome moment, best moment of your life. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray. Jesus, in these next few minutes, as we lift up your name, I pray that you would do such a beautiful thing in this house, such a beautiful thing in this room. Jesus, that you would, um, that you would meet us with refreshment as we repent and bring all of these things to you. Jesus, we re-up this month on front page news, which is Jesus Christ and Christ crucified. God, we put this message in this moment in your hands and we seal it with some worship. Jesus, we love you, we honor you. It's in your name we pray and everyone said.